Hello, legends. Welcome to today's show. Catching up with Cub, as always, is brought to you by Cub, the Club United Business, Australia's number one members club connecting our country's top entrepreneurs and business leaders. And today, I catch up with a long-standing Cub member, Mr. Peter Heary, the CEO of InZen and founder of Cascade Studios, a brand new Australian gaming studio that is building the next big game, Primescape. Peter started InZen, an IT and digital agency, around 18 years ago, built up his knowledge and his skill set in, in running a business and learning about business, to now following his passion and dream of building a gaming company. He's leveraged the community at Cub to raise capital and start this incredible business. He shares the story, the lessons, and insight into the gaming industry, which is huge, as well as key lessons we all need to take into consideration about protecting our business's IT. Peter's a really cool guy. Enjoy the show. And boom, we're live. Welcome. G'day, mate. Mate, how long have you been a member now? I have been a member of Cub since 2016. It is a very tray, tray, tray. I've got to speak French because I'm about to go to France, but it is a tray long time to be a member. It's been great. Well, it's not a long time to be a member. It's just that that's the longest members could be members because <laughs> that's when Cub started. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. Been with you well, since the beginning. No, we, uh, myself and the whole team appreciate your support and we're kind of jackasses because we haven't had you on the podcast. You should have been one of the first people oh, it's right, on man. this podcast. I'm here now. It's a pleasure to be here. 100%. And, and how's Cub changed? Um, I, I, I mean, you've got a cool, a unique perspective because you you would have seen uh, an evolution in Cub. Ha, have you seen it change? Or is it much different from the start? Oh, definitely. I think evolution <laughs> is a great word. That was word. for certain. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> evolution is a good word. I mean, look um, – like any business in your first year or two, you're finding your feet, you're figuring out what you're doing, um, looking at your, your service offering, look at how the market responds and you guys have adapted to that. Um, the, what you guys do now is a lot more polished, clean, focused, you know, resonates with the members, you know, before. Uh, but it's always been a pleasure. But, no, you guys have absolutely it's matured. Matured, exactly. Yeah, that's the, the word. word. Like, yeah. And it's funny because companies are like people. It, they literally mature like a human being does. And and I just think it's because the company is not a real thing. It's the people within the company that are the company. And as the people mature, the company matures. And um, even as the as the leader, as the CEO or whatever, you, or as a leader in the company, as you mature, you also then are able to to hire more sophisticated or mature people. Get like, For example, when Cub was – when I was um, – 23, I was obviously only hiring young people because yeah. that's all I kind of knew. And, right. uh, and by nature, they're not that mature. <laughs> yep. Anyway, it's good. But um, uh, we're here to talk about a few things. Obviously, InZen has been your company. Um, is that how you say it? Yes. Okay. Because the, the other week, or well, the episode actually that's live right now, the company is called Avcom and right. I said AVcom. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> that one could almost be excused though. Yeah. But anyway. And um, Inzen has been your company that you've been you've had for how long now? Eighteen years. Uh, and, and what is it? That's what you joined Cub with. So, what's that company? Yeah, so it's a, a digital agency, um, full stack. We do everything from IT, web development, app development, social media, digital marketing, pretty much any tech needs for an SME. Was it always that though? Because I remember at the start it was more IT 
Yeah, most of our, well, probably about half of our work is IT. And probably that's just been organic because that's where I started. And that's one of our main focuses. And what, you know, what I discovered speaking about what you were saying before is that in our early stages, um, you know, I was in an IT company as an employee. And I was, um, you know, I was asked to build the invoicing system for the company uh, in Excel, just actually code it. And I, I was an absolute noob. I had no idea about business. I, you know, didn't have an entrepreneurial bone in my body. Um, I had a lot of passion and a lot of energy, but I didn't know what I wanted to do with it. And as I was building this invoicing system, of course, I got to see all the numbers. And I saw the number that they were charging me out at versus how much they were paying me. And they sort of, you know, you get the dollar signs in your eyes. It's sort of like ding, that sort of moment of, ah, that's, that's how you make money in business. So that was sort of that moment I sort of thought, okay, you know, I, I'll go and start my own IT company. And it took me a long time to do that. But that was my grassroots. That's where I started. Isn't that interesting though? It's like it's, it, it begs the question, should there be this full transparency in, in organisations? Because it's probably not good for organisations. <laughs> people are like, ah, oh, fuck this, I'm going to go do my own thing. Right. You know, I, I right. think there doesn't need to be. I, I'm not – I find myself being anti a lot of things and <laughs> that are trending these days like work from home and, and transparency. But, but I just don't see how they help. I really don't. I don't. I don't see how they help business. But, but, and so you literally were like, "Hey, look how much they're making from me. I could make that myself." Exactly. I mean, I knew uh, this was an established business, and I knew obviously they had the clients. I didn't obviously have any clients, and that was my. You know, it took me probably a year or a year and a half for me to finally pull the trigger on this because I was, I was scared. I was like, "What am mm. I doing? I'm giving up a salary to go off on my own." You know, it's that. You know, you've talked on the podcast many times before, and we've talked personally about the hardest. Well, one of the hardest things to do is to start. Yeah. And that jumping ship, that, you know, that leap of faith, I thought, you know, how am I going to do this? And I kind of already, I had a trading name already. I actually technically had a business, but not an actual, something that was going to be my main source of money. And I remember, you know, shaking like a leaf, going to the Department of Fair Trading and, you know, choosing a business name. And, you know, even just that was tough for me. It's like, I've got to fork out this money and fork out that money. And I was really lucky because I remember in the last month before I was going to leave, I was going to be very honourable and very clean and just start afresh and, you know, I remember a client asking me, oh, well, in a month we're going to be doing this. And I said, oh, look, I'm not actually going to be here. And they said, oh, why not? I said, look, I'm actually just going to go and do my own thing. And they said, oh, we'll come with you. And I said, oh, uh, oh, I wasn't expecting that. And then I got several of them and to my surprise and kind of horror, but, you know, also happiness, a few clients just came along and I ended up asking them, well, wh- why did you decide to leave an established company, your established supplier, who was also, by the way, owned by a friend of mine, one of my, my oldest friends, so it was a bit delicate, um, and they said, because, you know, you know how to talk to us. Um, we trust you. You seem to be able to, you know, talk to us in a way where we understand our own IT systems well before we haven't had that experience. So I learned, you know, to your, answer your question, one of the key things about IT and anything technical is people have got to understand. Pro- they've got to get it. Like if you're an expert in a field, you've got to be able to talk to them in a way where they can feel comfortable and you can actually just have a chat about it. So um, IT has been a mainstay of my business since then. I actually think the bigger lesson there is that people do business with people and that is something that all businesses need to um, be like, you know, you need to, I mean, we take it into heavy consideration at Cub just because the nature of our business, but any of your service people, client relationship managers, salespeople, anyone that is very client, any business that has has people that, very client facing and, and uh, regularly in touch to provide value. Yes. You really need to have measures or systems in place that prevent like that situation from happening to you. Yeah. Um, and like, I, I, I can't really 
probably very well eloquently explain what they should be and how, how they should be. But like, uh, but a, a few ideas like maybe that I'm thinking of or um, that is that the boss does have at least one or two big contacts with each client every year, like the, the boss boss, not just their, their, you know, their account manager or relation manager. Mm. Um, um, I, I, I actually don't know. But it's well, definitely something that that businesses need to need to do because otherwise that can happen. Someone leaves and then up, there goes all their clients. Well, usually in my experience, that's done in a restraint clause in an employment contract. And the funny thing about that is because I actually have some employment law clients and restraint clauses get challenged all the time, you know, especially in big corporate levels where you've got a very, you know, high level guy or, or girl or woman and they decide to leave and there's that sort of, how you know they're going to try and rip away some clients or some business, and you know what if they try and reapproach them in three months or six months or twelve months? And there are, you know, these these clauses that try to prevent that, but often they're not enforceable, you know, or they do go through a court case, and the court case doesn't end up, you know, resolving anything. Well, and, and also you spend a fortune. Yeah, like I have, I've had um, in in my whole time at Cab, I've only had one person that was a bit of a dirty dog. Um, and uh, I went all out. I was like, fuck it, I don't care how much it's going to cost. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, if you touch, anyone that touched. And I just thought, worst case scenario, I don't care how much I have to spend, I don't care what I have to do. Yep. As long as I win this, I'll, I'd, I would rather have died than not, than not win. Yeah. And at least it sets the message that, well, anyone else, <laughs> anyone else ever wants to do that, I'm going to do everything in my power to make sure that uh, not just – not that you can't do that. I'm also going to come after you, make it more difficult for you. But I, don't, I think you need to have a – as a last resort, mm. you know. But yeah. I'm saying having strength as a leader and being – I think that's part of the reason why people follow you is that they know or, or let you lead is that they know this person's going to defend us. This person's going to make us safe. It's going to make sure our jobs continue to grow and prosper. Mm. We're going to get paid more. We're going to have more opportunity because the company's going to keep growing because this, this crazy – person would rather die than not have this happen. Do you know what I mean? Like yeah. that's, it's kind of. A bit, of cr- bit of crazy goes a long way. I think it does. <laughs> no? Yeah, it does. Well, I can't tell from your guys' facial. No, it's true. No, it's true. <laughs> Laura's, Laura's looking at me like, oh. I mean, I, I actually was once involved in a court case. I actually, as the IT manager of the, of the or, you know, the outsourced IT manager for the client, um, a, a large um, director left the company and not only stole clients but stole documents. And I did a forensic examination of there was a huge trail of them doing this and actually had to do affidavits and, and present evidence and do forensic, you know, to, to try and bring this person to justice. And there was a court case and it did get settled and there was a payment, but they still took all the clients. You know, so there are these, you know, you do get these grey areas. Well, the one thing I learned is that when you go, we won because legally we were correct in every way. We did everything right. But, mm. but um, what I did learn is that what's in contracts doesn't necessarily mean what's actually going to happen. Right. And at the end of the day, it's just what the judge thinks yep. yeah, and believes. And it's very hard for a judge to, you know, it, it, the business, I just hate this about the world, but business always gets the short end of this, of the, is it stick or string? That stick. Name? Stick, yeah. <laughs> business always gets a short end of the stick. It's it's like they, they almost put small to medium-sized business in the same bucket as big business. And they're harder on you. It's like, wait a second. Yeah, that's not the same thing. Mm. Well, the problem, of course, is that when you're at the higher end of town, you can hire the best lawyers and work around the system. You've actually got more ability to work the system than the system works you. SMEs have a tougher end of the – 
Tough yeah. Well, because it's expensive. I mean, we did. I'll, I'll give a shout out to our lawyers because they're, they're fantastic. We use uh, Paul Miller from Deutsch Miller, which is a fantastic legal firm in the yep. city, also a member of CUB. Yeah. Do you know Paul? Well, yeah, I introduced him to CUB. You introduced Paul well, to Well, I, I was one of a few who was pushing him in that direction. I've known Paul for like 15 years. What? Yeah, I used to do his IT. No way. <laughs> yeah. How weird is that? Yeah, yeah. He and I are good friends. Oh, that's good. Well, he's, he's, he's amazing. He's a very good friend of me too. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, and he's been a member for probably. Yeah. Well, he, you introduced him into. He's probably been a member at 2016, 17. Then. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. And yeah. also, well, Paul introduced me to a, a gentleman named Dean Tolkien from a. I also a, know Dean. Do you? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who don't you know? Yeah. But but uh, Dean's from a, a firm called Sapphire Legal. Yeah, I do their IT. <laughs> Yeah, I do. I do. <laughs> That's awesome. Well, anyway, they're both legends. So if you need legal things, go to those guys. But, but um, no, my point is, even when you have those contracts in place, um, they're tricky things. You really do need the best lawyers to write in-depth contracts because that was a problem I had at the start. I had the contracts written by not the big dog lawyers. Yeah. Uh, and then when um, when I realised I had a kind of breach and I realised, shit, these things aren't going to hold I had all the contracts redone so I think it's probably important for businesses as your company grows and matures you have more capital you got to get your you got to not your business maturing is not just the the people it's the contracts it's the systems it's yeah. that that's a really important point yeah legals are important and, and tell me about this so I mean I, I wanted to mention inzen because that's been around for 18 years you said hello yep. yeah. 18 yep that's a long time yeah um, that's more than half of my life. <laughs> but but out of curiosity, because I, I do want to get onto the gaming, yep. your, your gaming company, but out of curiosity, how long did it take you until you felt that InZen was had mature? It was more it was stable as a business. It wasn't like, oh, it's gonna it's gonna slip from my hands. Oh, it, no. it was producing income and it was stable. That's a great question. Uh, look, I I started up, I was gonna start my own IT company, an old mate of mine, a schoolmate called Luke came along and we had beers at a pub and in an afternoon decided to join forces and we brought on board a developer and we decided to write our own software. And that was back in the day when you could write um, what is then called a, what is still called a content management system, a CMS, which is like WordPress or like a, you know, a web development tool for, for users. And back then that was very new. And, uh, you know, we, we knew we could make money there, but we ended up getting a team and we, Luke and I didn't pay ourselves for a year and a half. And then we paid ourselves a grand salary of 40 grand. We thought that was really exciting. We lived together. We were in each other's pockets 24-7. You know, it took probably three years before we got to the point where the business was sort of humming at some point and we were actually making real sales. Because especially when you're selling software, you go to your, you're, trying to, you're trying to make your first client and they say, well, what clients do you have? None. So then you've got to make special deals. You've got to give away for free. And, you know, it was tough until we had about half a dozen clients on. We couldn't actually get a real client. Um, but then once you were able to say we had this law firm and that law firm and you started to get a bit of kudos, you could start charging. And back then you could charge, you know, $350 a month for this hosting software, which now you can't do. But look, he, um, he, I ended up buying him out. He, you know, we were living together. We were supposed to be two bachelors going around on the town and How having a great time. Well, this was 18 years ago, so I was um, <clears throat> 12. No, I was uh, 20, gosh, I would have been 25 or something yeah. at that time. Yeah, so, um, and, you know, you know, the world was our oyster. And, uh, of course, um, the, one of the very first nights we went out on the town, he found his now wife. So um, that ended that very quickly and she ended up moving in with us and we, we had a great time. Um, but, look, it took, there was, it was struggle, struggle straight for a good three, four years. It was tough. And, yeah. um, and, you know, we had a number of times we sat down and said, look, are we 
are we going to make this? Is this going to work? Because you're paying people to make a product that you haven't made any money from. It's just loss and loss and loss. But then eventually we got there. Um, they ended up moving back to the States or Canada and I bought them out. But probably about, I would say, year five, year six, it actually turned into a real business. Yeah. My, my well, Actually, interesting point you just said there is anyone that is starting a new business. I mean, I think what you did is brilliant which is and, – and also Cub did that too, which is um, it, go find great ideal clients, provide them services for free so you can say that you, they're your clients and then go get get others. It's such an easy, low-cost way to to just get started. Yeah. I think everyone – I think it's a great system to do it. But um, my old man, that, that's pretty similar to Cub uh, in that it, it took um, about three years for us to kind of figure out what we were. <laughs> Yeah. You know, and, yeah. and then my, my old man, what, what I was about to say, my old man always said that eh, you, you don't become a, a real business until you're about between seven to 10 years. Until that point, you, you, you just, you figure you, you're not there. I agree. And I reckon, I reckon that's about accurate because most members I'll speak to um, uh, say that too. They say, yeah, but it was years. Some people say year 10, took year 10. I like for Cub. Right now, are we fantastic at what we do? Yeah, of course. But because we're, we've gotten so much better at doing what we do, I'm also now able to see how much better we could be. Yes. And, and so you, real, and, and you, you, realize, you, you start seeing things in more detail. I, I don't know how to describe it, but the way I've described it before is like at the start you're – this is actually relevant because you started a gaming company. So at the start – You've got a huge remote with all these buttons, and you're you know you're trying to control the business. And every year the remote gets smaller with less buttons, and it's like you have a better better grip on the on the remote until eventually, I don't know, you got an iPhone or something. You, you know you do. So so that's how like right now I can feel Cubs remote is 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 is, is small, but it, it, it I can see how much how we can make it smaller and easier to control the company and pull the levers. So. Hundred percent. I mean, it's just about clocking up your ten thousand hours, you know, until you're truly proficient with the business that you're running. Yeah. You know, what's that at, book, Malcolm? Yeah, Gladwell? Uh, yeah, Malcolm Gladwell. That's yeah, outliers. Right. Outliers. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Until you've clocked up your ten thousand hours, you, you, you're just still finding your way, and and you're still figuring out your product market fit. You know, your best fit with the market. The market will be responding, but you're like, oh, maybe I need more of this or less of that, and that's what you've been doing for seven years, and mm-hmm. you had COVID. Yeah, yeah. COVID. So we did a survey to the members. We asked them, like, do they like work from home? Has work from home impacted culture? Um, what else did we ask? Are they hiring? Are they currently having staffing issues? Mm. And one of the one of them was, did COVID have a long term benefit to your business? I can't remember the exact stat, but anyway, it was it was a large percent of members. Majority of members mm. said that COVID had a long term benefit. Isn't interesting? Their, yeah. yeah. But I think it's more so the mindset of the people saying that. You know, it's the mindset of the business owners turning negatives into positives and learning from things and then feeling stronger themselves. And I actually think it's more representative of their mind rather than their business itself. You're probably right. Yeah, I think you have to be adaptive to be a, a business owner. And I mean, you know, what is, I don't know what the exact stat is, but like 80% of SMEs die in the first two years. You know, uh, I was noticing just even in the local area, you see businesses come and go every six months, like retail especially. It's tough. Business mm. is tough. And until you, through that first phase, however long that phase is, you're just treading water trying yeah. to figure out where, what you're doing. You're in Potts. Are you in Potts Point? Elizabeth Bay, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, same as me. And I hate because 
the local retail businesses in the area, oh. they suffer. You can't run a business if there's homeless people sleeping in, in the business and junkies running around and the streets are dirty and, like, nothing's being done about it. Like, how is a business supposed to operate? Yeah, we were commenting on that just this morning, exactly it's, that. It's absurd. Yeah. And then you walk down the nice end of Potts Point where they've stopped all of that and it's stunning. The streets are beautiful. The people are so happy. The businesses are flourishing. It's like, guys, it's not – that's the formula. Just extend it. I don't know what – I really need to be, like, Prime Minister of Pot- <laughs> 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 I mean, It's interesting what you say. I mean, you talked about Malcolm Gladwell before. I don't know if you read The Tipping Point, but the, one of my favourite stories of that was what they did in the New York subways in, I think, the 80s or 90s. There was so much crime and there was so much homelessness and, and, and what they ended up doing was just, first of all, focusing on the graffiti – and every day they would come down and strip the graffiti and every night they'd come back and do more graffiti and it was just a war of attrition until eventually the graffiti artists realised there's no point coming and doing it because the artwork will be gone within 12 hours. And once the graffiti was gone, the homeless people moved out. Once the homeless people moved out, more people business started coming changing. and everything just changed. It was just yeah. one metric that changed and the whole thing. And then businesses invest capital into the area because they're fixing the buildings and they're doing them up and they're cleaning the streets and, and the area flourishes. And, and um, I mean, and to the point of the homeless people, so I don't sound heartless or homeless or junkies or whatever, whatever drug addicted, I guess you'd call them, um, is they need help. And they're not getting it sitting on the street where mm. they are. Mm. If anything, they're just making people resent them being in that position. The government should help them, take them, give, I don't know, give them mental support. Put up, I don't know. If I went crazy, if I went <laughs> schizophrenic. What do you mean if? Uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> if I was uncontrollably crazy, right. yeah, I would I would probably help. To be, uh, there'd be some sort of place that, you know, they put me and fix me up. I don't know. I don't even know what I'm talking about. But please, fix Pot's point. Um. Anyway. The remote thing that I was taught, the yes. remote metaphor, that's probably a good segue into your new gaming business, which I think is the coolest thing ever because, I mean, I could sit down and picture, as I've said, how I could start uh, in Zen, yeah. but I have no idea how I would start a gaming business. Yeah. So what's that all about? Well, why, why did you do it? Yeah, look, I mean, I guess I have to talk about how it all started, which is a bit of a funny story. Uh, my wife and I were watching a TV show called um, Million Dollar Listings Los Angeles, um, which is a great show. And one of the real estate agents on it who's extremely successful was talking about how he fell into real estate and became so proficient at it. And basically he said, look, during his school years, he hung out a lot with his mother and he learned about real estate and interior design and all this is just through osmosis. Like that's because what he did day in, day out, year in, year out, just through his environment. And that's what he sort of focused his energy on. So by the time he came out of high school, he just sort of knew it and was off and running. And this little thought in my head was, what did I do in my entire childhood? What was my focus? And I was a huge gamer. Um, and this little voice in my head said, well, maybe there's a way you can make money out of that. And another voice in my head said, yeah, right. And I forgot about it. It was all like a two, three second exchange in my head and it was gone. And then two weeks later, I was walking home from a late night at the office. I had shopping bags in each arm. So I remember it was sprinkling. It was right outside the Fountain Cafe. You'd know where that is. And this is going to sound so strange. And I know to the listeners how bizarre this is going to sound. But I was thinking about something completely different. I don't know what I was thinking about. But it was like an external force injected an idea through my right temple. Like it was it was physical, it was visceral, like so much so that I sort of staggered from it. You know, I sort of went, whoa, what was that? And I sort of stopped there going, what what, what was that? It was like, like, like something got injected into me from outside. And it was basically the thought of, um, well, you've been dreaming of this game. You've been thinking of this idea for decades. Why don't you just do it? 
Like who, what's stopping you? You do it instead of because I looked around the market for this thing and hadn't been able to find it. So it was just basically the do it. You know what to do, so just do it. And I actually dismissed this. And then over the coming weeks and months, this idea just kept coming up. I kept on getting more ideas. I'd wake up. I'd been dreaming about it. I'd be washing the dishes. I'd be thinking about it. And I thought, I've just got to start writing this down. So I started creating this document. And I had a chat to my wife, and she was extremely supportive. She said, "Yep, go for it. Sounds sounds amazing." And I knew from my previous business failures that, you know, what I think might be a good idea doesn't mean that's what the market thinks is a good idea. So I started talking to people, started testing the market. I talked to entrepreneurs, talked to gamers, talked to developers, talked to publishers, and I had this overwhelming positive feedback of, oh, my God, this is a fantastic idea. You've just got to, you've just got to do this. I heard it so many times. Or people would say, people would ask the question, but doesn't that already exist? And when I'd say no, people would say, why not? You know, it was just an overwhelming market response. So I thought, oh, I've got to do this. So that document that I started is now a 160-page game design document. And um, I realised I had to build a prototype. So, so wait, what is the game? Okay, so yeah, I'll tell you what, you I'll tell you what it is. I've got to do this yeah, now. Yeah. Okay, so now I've built up the suspense. Yeah. So what it is, is it's two things in one. I mean, technically it is a multiplayer fantasy role-playing game where you can, you know, be a wizard or a fighter and you can run around and do exciting quests. I mean, you know, that's a reasonably popular trope. I mean, fantasy is really hot right now, right? There's fantasy everywhere, Game of Thrones and, you know. Well, I think the whole metaverse is like fantasy, isn't it? Right. Well, sort of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's and- I don't like my real life, so I'm going to go on digital world. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> effectively, yeah. <laughs> that's that's actually what I reckon. I know this is off topic, but that's actually what I think the metaverse is going to become. I was talking to people from the metaverse the other day uh, from the metaverse. <laughs> <laughs> they visited, had they? Nah, one of the members was telling me, I don't know what he's got, but he's telling me all about it. And I was like, I don't see any appeal in that personally, but I was like, I reckon there are a lot of people who want to escape real life and they've got an opportunity to create their own right. digital life. Right. And I can see there's a big market for that. Three billion gamers in the world. Gee, really? Really. That's a lot of people. It's more than 50% of the population play games at least once a week. Really? Really. That's a big statistic. It is. Anyway, continue. So, so yeah, so um, <laughs> apart from this sort of – so it's got, sort of got two things to it. Apart from being this amazing game with all these sort of really cool features that I want to throw in that sort of don't exist in games that I've seen so far, the real USP of it is that I want to give – um, the community, the ability to really quickly and easily create beautiful game worlds of their own. And this sort of talks to what you were talking about. So there are obviously, you know, behemoths in the market like Minecraft or Roblox. But if you actually look at what exists in the market at the moment, um, most of the offerings or pretty much all of the offerings are either slow or difficult or what I would gently call over-stylized. Like if you look at Minecraft, it doesn't look anything like real world. It's, you know, cubic. So... Um, and this is sort of stemming from um, a little secret that I'm going to out myself to thousands of people at once. So I played Dungeons & Dragons for 25 years, right? So that was a big part of my life. And uh, what I loved about that was the ability to create was unprecedented. You know, a, a dungeon master who's the, the game creator could in an hour or two create an incredible game world that lots of people could enjoy for many hours. So the ratio of effort to reward was really good. I assume you are a dungeon master yourself. Was, Okay. <laughs> I'm not not currently. I'm I'm retired, um, but yes is the answer. Um, but in the digital space, because of all of my software development experience, I know that this is technically possible, but it doesn't technically exist at the moment. So there's a hole in the market, and I wanted to confirm that hole in the market before I proceeded. I thought, you know, am I dreaming? Have I missed something? You know, is it feasible? Is it viable? Is it desirable? And basically, I looked and talked to lots of people, and the overwhelming result was yes. So I thought, okay, I've got to prove this concept. I've got to literally do a proof of concept prototype. 
So I did some shopping around, talked to a lot of studios, engaged a studio down in Melbourne, and we built this prototype where in minutes you can sculpt a landscape and put down buildings and put down monsters and put down treasure and run around in a game world all within 10 minutes. Um, doesn't look AAA grade or anything, but proof of concept tick. So then I was due. It's like your MVP. Well, yeah. Or even well, before that. It is before that. And, and, and just it's interesting. A lot of people say that, and I'm going to get a little bit technical here because it's quite important. On the scale of sort of development, there is a number of stages and prototype is right, right, right down one end. And usually the next step for a business would be, would be an MVP, as you say. But an MVP should be something that you can technically sell, like you can actually make some revenue from. Funnily enough, in gaming, there's even one step in between them, which is called a vertical slice. Now, that doesn't really exist in many other any other industries, but what that means is you build something where you can show five to ten minutes of really good gameplay for someone to get a feel for the game. It feels smart. It feels slick. It feels good. Like a movie trailer. Yeah, it's exactly like a trailer, but it's interactive. You can obviously play it. So that will be our next phase, and that's what we have just done a capital raise to start building on. Um, but, you know, once we'd built the prototype, I was due to get on a flight with, um, you know, the owner of the studio that did it in March of 2020 to go to San Francisco and guess what happened, you know, to go and get some money and get some investment. And, of course, on the day we were supposed to fly out, you know, ScoMo said on the TV, don't fly, don't go anywhere, COVID has hit, you know. So, boom, that was all over. Investors closed all their checkbooks and just like what we've been talking about with business, I had to go back to the drawing board and figure out what I was going to do. And so since then, we've talked to a lot of publishers. They're all really interested in the idea and um, we've done a capital raise. Um, did you do the capital raise recently or before COVID? I did, uh, no, no, after. So I've done the capital raise in the last six months. Okay, very recent. Yeah, but basically over the course of 2021. Okay. Yeah, it closed on December 30 of last year. Are you able to say how much you raised? I raised 750 grand. Okay, cool. Yeah. Did you use Cubbit all for that? I used Cub a lot for that. Did you? Oh, yeah, 100%. So oh, four awesome. of my investors are Cub investors. Yeah, Cub. Cub. Cub members, which is just amazing. I mean, I really, you know, while we're on this podcast, I, you know, you talked about transparency before. Doing this business wouldn't have been possible without Cub. You know, half of my advisory board is made up of Cub members. The amount of advice and relationships and sort of introductions I've gotten through Cub so just, um, you know, just collegiate support, you know, someone to talk to, an actual advisory board advice, you know, Charles Canning-Smith, um, Chris yeah, Ellis, man, um, you know, uh, Craig Mayer, like just amazing people. Um, and then on top of that, through the core system in Cub, you know, meeting amazing people. And, you know, it's like what was happened today. You know, people go, so what do you do? So I've got, I've got two businesses, I've got a digital agency, yada, yada, and people are sort of looking around the room and I've got this game and everyone leans forward wow. and goes, tell me more <laughs> about the game. Um, and then as part of the core thing, I said, look, I'm about to start a vertical, I'm about to start a, a capital raise. And people said, let me know more, like keep me in the loop, send me a deck. And, you know, almost half of the investors are Cub members. That's really cool. Yeah. So thank you for the network. Thank no, you to Cub. No, please. That's, that's not at all. All our jo job is to get the right people in, in the same room with a shared culture. And anything that happens from us is, is not Cub. Uh, from that is not Cub. That, that's the members mm. being the members. Yeah. Our, our job is we, we can't take credit for that, although it would be nice to. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm so, I'm so happy. I'm actually proud to hear that. It's amazing. Hopefully you make heaps of cash so all the investors make cash and then they can be like, Daniel, thank you so much for the opportunity. Well, that's, that's the plan. Yeah. <laughs> no, awesome. And um, um, so what's the, uh, like, what's the ambition for the game? Is it like to, is it, um, first of all, I'm a rookie to the gaming game. No problems. A rookie to the world. So 
Is it like a computer game or like a PlayStation game? Good question. So here's here's how it will play out. So what we're doing at the moment with the with the money from the capital raise, we're going to build our vertical slice. Then we go to publishers and or even investors and go, look at what we've got. Don't you think this is amazing? Here's going to be the full build chip in. And then we build the full game. When we release the full game, it will be available on PC, PlayStation, and Xbox. So and then so you could Oh, that's awesome. Oh yeah. Yeah, no, so we, how does that work? So you're the game owner and they license it from you or? Yeah, so well, what, what we do is we build it for multiple platforms. So you, 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 sort of build it, you sort of build it for PC, if you like. Kind of like if you're building an app for iOS, Android, yeah, web. exactly. Same thing? Yeah, exactly. So then you build it for different platforms and then you release on those platforms simultaneously. And what we're doing is we're building something called cross-play, which means you could be on a PlayStation, playing someone on a PC, playing someone on an Xbox. Like you don't all have to be on the same machine. That's fine. We'll be doing mobile later down the track maybe, but for the moment those are the three main ones. And then, yeah, to, to, to your point, hopefully make literally millions of sales and, um, you know, make money for everyone and keep going. You know, we've got a 10, 15-year plan ahead of us. Yeah, and it's not even about making money. I mean, that's always amazing. But think about how much uh, – I mean, what – I mean, serious question. What – how do you think gaming – positively impacts society, kids' lives? How did it impact, how did Dungeons & Dragons help you? Yeah, look, that's a really good question and there's been actually quite a number of studies on this because there's, you know, to talk to the other side first, there's obviously the um, the worry about the negative impact games can have on kids and I, I think that's something that's real. I think that's something we've got, you know, back in my day I was out riding a bike, you know, hitting sticks against a tree and then maybe one or two hours a week I play a computer game. While now it's so – people have got games in their pockets, you know, they, they, everywhere they go. So I understand the concern and I think that's just a family parenting thing that you've got to work out. But on the other side of things, there are studies to suggest that, you know, games help problem solving, they help with literacy, they help with reflexes, they help with understanding um, world mechanics that you wouldn't otherwise know because you can do things in games, you learn about the world that you wouldn't otherwise know because you're you're practicing kind of in a, in a sense. Like the, the thing about games is they give you a space to do things without any real risk. That's the, that's the attraction of games. You can have all the glory and power and fun without any real risk. Um, so That's um, a cool way to put it. Yeah. So, and, and, you know, with Dungeons and Dragons, I mean, you know, that's a very much, I mean, I was 40 years ahead of the curve here, Daniel. I mean, Dungeons & Dragons is now the most popular it's been in 40 years since it's launched in 1977. Oh, yeah, it's got it's gone massive. So um, Stranger Things, I don't know if you know about that on Netflix. It's a huge fantasy show. Yeah, I haven't um, watched it. Laura watches it. Yeah, I could see you nodding. I figured yeah. you might have been a bit of a fantasy yeah, head. I don't um, watch it. It looks too scary for me. I probably won't sleep for a week. <laughs> it is a bit scary. Um, Critical Role, Game of, Thro- uh, yeah, Game of Thrones, Lord of the Rings, Harry Potter. You know, fantasy's hot. You know, vampires and werewolves are everywhere. You know, back in the 80s, um, it was very much a corner case niche, you know, thing that you'd be, you know, the nerds playing Dungeons and Dragons, you know. Yeah. And, and fair enough, like I get it. Um, but the reason it has lasted 45 years and it is the godfather of everything fantasy is because it was a unique game, a unique mechanic where – you, it was creativity unleashed. It was in, you could be interactive in a space. Like if people liked watching any of those movies like Marvel or Game of Thrones or anything, imagine that, but you're in it. You are the hero. You, you know, there's nothing like having half a dozen of your mates around the corner. You've had a few beers and the dungeon master says to you, oh, the big troll runs through the door and he turns to you, what do you do? And everyone looks at you and the pressure's on you. It's 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 stressful, but in a fun way. And it's, you know, you roll dice and you have a laugh and it's it's a very fun, interactive, social game. And um, the reason it's still here is because they just got it right. 
you know, and yeah. people have a lot of fun. And so you think that it helps people. So I understand you're saying it helps people um, have better thinking skills and things. But but in terms of why people love it, mm. do you think it's a, a sense of accomplishment in that you know they they pass a level or they they increase and that gives them a dopamine hit of okay I've accomplished something. Oh, or hundred percent. I mean, it's also just. Um, it's kind of what I was saying before. It's fun without the risk. It's it's you get you get to break free of the constraints of mundane life. I mean, you know, we we live pretty exciting lives, but sometimes life can be a bit of drudgery. Sometimes it can be boring. Um, games, whatever kind of a game it is, whether it's a board game or whatever, it's an opportunity to escape from that. Get your dopamine hits. Have some fun. Have some agency. Have some power, and you know, then finish up and and go yeah, back to life. It's entertainment. It's an escape. It's yeah, entertainment. entertainment. I mean, entertainment is. It can be valuable in his ways. It gives you more confidence. It can inspire you. It can, you know, make give you a break from the day to help you relax and things. So exactly. So I, I mean, mean, if you abuse alcohol, it's going to screw you as well. But right. know, it can be <laughs> fun and it can be good in in moderation. Well, it's interesting what you say because the gaming market is now bigger than movies. It's bigger than music. It's bigger than TV shows. It's bigger than any of those two industries put together. And I, I fully believe oh, it's obviously true, but I <laughs> I agree and believe it because. Movies is def. I actually thought the movie cinemas were shut the other day. I didn't even know you could go to the movie cinemas anymore. Mm. I didn't even know it was a thing. Mm. I can't even imagine why people would go. <laughs> you can get TV screens big in your house anyway, and they're not even that expensive yes. anymore. Yeah, it's true. Yeah. And it comes straight out of Netflix. Are movies coming out straight away now? Or? No, they're still. They're, I think they're moving much more back to cinemas only for a oh, while. Oh, they are. Yeah, very much so. Like for instance, you can't like Top Gun's gone bananas. Top Gun Maverick, the new oh, one, yeah. fully but, bananas. Uh, but you can't stream it. So you know that's the kind of movie that would almost draw me to the cinema. And, and certain movies are just better on the big screen, I think, you know, no matter how big your TV screen yeah, is. Yeah, and it's the experience of going there, right. getting the popcorn, the smell, like yeah. it, it, it's it's the experience of the movie. That exactly. I but still, I still think people go uh, convenience over experience any day of the week and I reckon that if they had the choice, they would watch that from home. It's hard to beat unlimited stuff for 15 bucks a month. And why do you think gaming has gone up while movies and things have gone down? Just because gaming has actually improved Oh, yeah, there's a number of factors. I mean, gaming was already trending at about 7% CAGR, compound annual growth rate, um, uh, before COVID. When, well, since COVID, it's now 12.5% because people are at home and they want to do something. And gaming is something you can do with your friends at home that's interactive and social. You know, there was a huge increase of social games like Among Us, um, and games where it was almost there was a thing of you know come for the game but stay for the social stay for the party because people just wanted to connect. Mm. Um, yeah, so I bought I bought a Nintendo when COVID hit. Mm. Bang Nintendo, mm. latest Super Smash Brothers, right? And, and Mario Kart. That's pretty social. Amazing. They're great fun. Oh, fantastic games. Yeah. So I think I think gaming has gone has really exploded in the last few years, and I, you know it, it's tapered off a little bit, but still growing very steadily. And I think to your point the caliber and the um, sort of the quality of gameplay these days is so extraordinary that it offers something that you can't find in any other space. Um, Wait, you didn't say the name of your game. Oh, it's called Primescape. Oh, that's a pretty sick name too. Yeah. Yeah, Thanks. I like that. Yeah. And um, um, also I think the, that that story just kind of shows people that, hey, you can start a gaming company. You know, it's possible. And not just that, um, it's an extremely fast-growing industry that's becoming more and more relevant. And I, I really do think that it's going to have ties between meta, gaming and metaverse are going to be simultaneously linked because they're they're somewhat they're an escape into a 
fake world where random things can happen and you can be someone else. It, you know, they're, they're quite well linked. I reckon there'll be a big transition, not leaving gaming to metaverse, but the, I reckon they'll be the first people that, that jump straight on that wagon. Well, it's a really interesting point because um, – and I might just have to declare a bit of a cynical hat on top of my head at the moment because the thing about the word metaverse is I think if you got 10 people in a room and asked them what that meant, you might come out with somewhere between five and 10 different different definitions, you know. So, you know, is a metaverse where you can upload your avatar into some big space and go shopping at every shopping mall in the world? Is it where you get to go and play computer games? Is it a place where you are effectively having like a second life? Um, is it all of those things? But the thing about, in my opinion, about the metaverse is that it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the really big corporates, like with Microsoft, with EA, with Blizzard, with Ubisoft, with these huge gaming or even, you know, um, uh, Facebook, obviously. Um, because you've got to ask yourself the question of, is it within their interest and their shareholders' interests to open up the doors between their ecosystem and all the other ecosystems? Or is it within their interest to keep their doors closed and encourage everyone to come into their realm? So, you know, I think people have, might have seen the movie, you know, Ready Player One or, you know, the idea of, you know, it's going to be this sort of super interconnected universe where you can go and do anything you like. But it'll be, it'll be interesting to see how you play out. And in one sense, games have kind of been doing it for a while. Like there are already places where you have an avatar, you go into a lobby, you chat to your friends, you decide what game you're going to play together and you go off and play it. So in a limited sense, meta, the idea around metaverse kind of already exists, but I think people are expecting almost a seamless universal VR experience where you can connect to everything. And that'll be really interesting to see if that ever actually happens. Yeah, I, I still can't figure out what the metaverse is, like to your point. I, I, <laughs> right. All I've seen is pictures of fake apartments and and worlds posted on LinkedIn right. and things like that. Well, exactly. I still can't figure out what you do with the pictures, but uh, I can see that, you know, some someone's spending some time designing them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and, I mean, just on the topic of um, IT and, and, and setup, um, um, what a – it's a funny topic. Like we use Tim. Have you ever met Tim? Yeah. He's our IT Yeah, I've met person. Tim a few times. Nice guy. Yeah, Tim's been doing the IT – since forever, right? Tim has access to all cab shit. Yep. Tim, like, but Tim's there because I trust him. I've known him for many years. He's literally been with Cub from the start. You know, Tim can't go anywhere because right. <laughs> Tim controls Cub. <laughs> Tim, Tim is Cub. Right. Um, that's, um, I mean, that's good and bad. I love Tim, whatever. But, but in terms of IT and risk factor. Mm. I've got a very healthy relationship with Tim. If that were to go sour, that wouldn't be very good for Cub, I'm sure. Right. But how do how do you think people should? What are some pitfalls people can fall into in terms of IT management and and you know cloud storage and things like that? Yeah, yeah. Look, I mean, it's it's really funny because no matter how long I've been in this business and the caliber of the clients that I work with, you know, I keep finding that even the big boys in town don't follow some pretty basic rules sometimes. So I guess if I was to think of, I don't know, let's call it a top five or a top seven, you know, some of these are really boring and they're not sexy and it's not exciting. But if you do these, then you've probably mitigated 99% of your risks. So like number one would be backup, like back your stuff up, please. Back it up from wherever it is, back it up to a different environment. What I mean by that, if it's, if it's in Microsoft, back it up somewhere else. If it's in Google, back it up somewhere else. What, what's the example of somewhere else? Uh, well, you could work it up from Google to Net OneDrive or from <laughs> no, or from Microsoft to a third party. There are lots of third party backup solutions. That, that is their sole reason for being. It's like we will back up from the big boys to us so that no matter what happens, if something happens to them, you can still access your data and access it quickly. And, and what does backup mean? Like, for example, I wouldn't know if my shit's backed up. 
Right, you know. exactly. Point and point and case. So, yeah. what would happen? I mean, I don't know where your data is stored, whether it's local or online or whatever. But if there was a catastrophe and all that data got corrupted or lost, could your business survive? I would suck. Right, it'd be a major impact, right? Mm. But you could you could mitigate that risk probably for between ten and a hundred bucks a month. Um, but you're not doing it, and I'm not having a go. This is just common. This is what hey, I'm saying. Very well, we're going to shout out to Tim. He may well be. Doing yeah, he may this. well be yeah. doing. He may well have all this covered, right? <laughs> I'm sure he does. But there are so many businesses that you know. I've seen you know people go white in the face because there's been an issue, or even if it's just losing one file. They go, "Oh, I accidentally deleted this file. Can you get it back?" Okay, well, where's your backup? Oh, we don't have one. <laughs> okay, Let's go reach into that cloud. So I'll just <laughs> pluck it out of my pocket. Yeah. So you know, number one, back everything up and and back it up to an external party, and also test restore it. Every now and then, and what that means is once or twice a year, just test restoring a new file to make sure the restore mechanism actually works. Because a backup's useless unless you can restore it and restore it quickly. Because often when you need something, you need it quick. It doesn't matter if you can restore it in a week. That's no good. You need to restore it now. So that's the first one. Second one is passwords. Oh my goodness, people, please do some do proper passwords. Like complex passwords. Don't use the same passwords for everything. Don't use the same password as your bank. Don't you know. Uh, rotate them every few months, um, you know. That's a hard one. Right? I know, I, I feel, I know that's hard. I but feel for people on that one. It's tough, I agree, but you have no idea. Okay. I've got enough shit to remember uh, Yeah, I get it. I don't so, need to so you start can, adding X's and O's and Y's. I, I, I get it. I, I understand. I really, that's why I'm saying this, this is not sexy, this is not fun, but this is really important stuff. I've seen identity theft. I've seen ransomware. I've seen um, people get completely hacked. I've seen all sorts of stuff and I'd say at least 50% of the time it's because it really lacks passwords. Like, and just because people are doing password one or the name of their kids or yeah. their postcode or whatever, yeah. it's super come, guessable. Come on, genius, put a bit more effort than that. But the more, the most most important thing is, is the way to think about it is these days you've got 100 accounts on the web, right? You've got from eBay to Amazon to your shopping to just normal websites to whatever. And if you're using the same password for most of them, if any one of them gets hacked, you're going they've got the password. For all of them. And that's what hackers do. These are organized groups now and they will they have lists. And as soon as they harvest a bunch of emails and passwords, they're going to hit all the big websites with that password combination. And if they get in, they get more access. Oh, there's their date of birth. Oh, there's their credit card. And they'll just slowly grow a profile for you. And before you know it, they've taken over your Gmail, they've taken over your Outlook, and then they've locked you out of your own accounts. You know what's the latest thing that happens? Instagram hacking. Right. I have, I have my brother-in-law's cousin... I was watching his Instagram one day and he started, it was, a bit, it was already a bit of an oddball. So at first I was like, mm, maybe it could be, but then I realized this must be hacked. He started posting all these things about cryptocurrency and like I've made a fortune and, and this and that. And then like it got obsessive. Like there was a Rolls Royce and, you know, they speak to this lady. She's the one that advised me. And I was like, oh, wow, that's scary. And and that's happened to a lot of people that I that I follow on Instagram. Mm. Um, because si- similar thing. people would be using the same password for Instagram as some other, some other account that's been hacked. So they just instantly get access to And that's to what Insta. they do. Yeah. And, and so does it help to have like a different number at the end of the password? Oh, well, I mean. Like yes. Peter Heary 1, Peter yes. Heary 2. Yes, but only a tiny bit because um, the, the hackers will have scripts where they'll, they'll, they'll try for stuff like that. They'll just rotate through the numbers. They'll rotate through the special characters. So that's actually a really weak way of doing it. I mean you can either use a password manager, which may, basically means you have a unique password for everything. That's that's super easy. Then it's saved for you. You've got something. As long as you remember the master password, there's a great one called LastPass. Ooh, no affiliation, but, you know, you can get you – know, or there are others as well, but I use that. It's fantastic. Or just have a really secure – document and you, what you can do is you can just have four levels banks critical important and 
low key and you just have different passwords for those four things so that you just have to keep rotating the top two. But, yeah, that's a big one, passwords. That, that, that's kind of like the biggest problem in today's world, period. Yeah. Like you could argue that's a bigger problem than COVID uh, and, 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 and like Ukraine. You it, really could because if your passwords get out, the whole world's passwords get out, it's chaos. Right. It's basically war. Yep. And it just takes a little bit of effort. I know it's not fun. It takes a little bit of effort and you solved it. Or the other thing is multi-factor authentication. But you'll be happy you did it. You'll be happy you did it when the person next to you gets hacked, That's not right. you. It basically makes, between this and multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication, that basically makes you hack-proof. Mm. You know, when you have to, you know, do your phone. To yeah, I love that. Something. I have that on all my devices for absolutely everything. Well, that's perfect. That basically yeah. makes you pretty much hack-proof because even if they do get your passwords, they can't get into your account. Yeah. Um, they're the All big three. Has that. They're the big three. I mean, if everyone follows those three, you, well, you, were they backup passwords? Backup passwords and multi-factor authentication. I mean, there's other things like don't click on a link if you don't know what it is. Like you know, Microsoft doesn't send out or Google doesn't send out pa- emails saying please reset your password. They don't do that. Yeah. So and and telling your staff to not do that as well because that's the other thing we get like uh, messages into our team WhatsApp saying, oh, anyone to get this random email? Yeah. And everyone's like, nah, yeah, I did too. Don't don't yep. open. Can it. you like, go and buy some gift cards? Or can you, it's like, <laughs> yeah, sure. It, it happens. You know, mm. it happens. Just people, I mean, I'd, I'd like to say people have to not be dumb and press it, but people are dumb sometimes and press it. <laughs> well, yeah. people are busy. They're distracted. Like I get it. But, mm. it, you know, the, the main thing is look at the email address. Like if you get an email and you're not sure, check the email address and ask yourself, why am I getting this email? Yeah. Mm. Anyway, not not sexy stuff, but it's important. It, it'll solve a whole bunch of stuff. I, the number of hacks and breaches I've seen is always those three things. But like I said, I actually think that that's literally probably the most important thing in the digital world yep. that you could do yep. is just lock down your – it would be like having a house that you never had a lock on – the door was open and you kind of, you know, you went on holidays and just left it left it there. That's a great analogy. I mean, how valuable is your business? Don't you want to secure it? Yeah. Mm. Um, and, you know, um, just Google stuff if you don't know. Like a lot of the questions people ask me, it's on Google. What about those things like um, you see the ads for them, like Norton 360, yeah? Oh, look, antivirus and anti-malware are important. Um, I think – yeah. Protect your children. Yeah, I mean, they're not as important as the, the things you've already mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, most things just get most things just get um, done because of human error rather than a you – know, viruses get in because some people have clicked something. Too much porn. <laughs> do, do you get, would you get viruses from porn anymore? Is that a thing of the past? I don't know. I don't think so. I, <laughs> I, I haven't heard of that. I, I honestly – you might be more of an expert than me. <laughs> uh, no, we do have to wrap up. I think we're at about time. But – um, I haven't got your prep sheet in front of me, but you had a favourite book and a key lesson. Do you remember what that uh, was? Yeah, I couldn't decide on a favourite book. I, I, I wrote three actually. Maybe give us a couple. The Diamond Cutter is an amazing book about business. It's a guy, a Buddhist monk, who ends up going to the diamond business. Absolutely extraordinary. Um, uh, the E-Myth Revisited, which is all about systems for the business. I mean, that's just a Bible in my opinion. If you can follow that, you that can is, succeed. A, that is an essential business It's an amazing Bible. book. And what was the third one? I can't remember. Um and it'll come to me later. The, the quote that I did was, um, uh, what was it? Oh, luck is when preparation meets opportunity. Yes. I really believe in that. I do too. Yeah. I do too because everything just kind of randomly happens to you but it's the position that you're in that allows you to do something because that thing happened to you. Yeah, exactly. If you're ready and something comes along, then you're ready. I know what the other book was now. It's Don't Hurt Me, which I've only just recently read. It's by a guy called David Goggins who's an ex-US um, Navy SEAL. Yeah, he's good friends with Joe Rogan. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. Uh, it's just about resilience and being tough and how often suffering leads to greatness and how sometimes you've just got to push. It's an amazing book. Awesome. Yeah. And to the listeners, if you want to um, get in contact with Pete, find out about his game um, or anything else, uh, talk to him about uh, getting your password sorted out, uh, go to cup.club forward slash podcast and you'll find his details there as well as his book recommendations, favorite lessons and other awesome uh, information. Um if you want to catch up with Cub uh, on social, it's at Club United Business uh, on Instagram. It is equally as awesome. Pete, thank you so much for coming. It was so cool to hear how um, you've leveraged the community to to get this um, uh, game off the ground and, and to get it started. We're obviously so proud to have you as a member and thank you. Matt, it's been a complete pleasure. Thank you. Hope you enjoyed the show.